Welcome to sermons from St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Minot, North Dakota. St. Paul's is anchored in the message of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, for the church and for the world. The following sermon is from Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard. The epistles from Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. There's no doubt about it, my friends, that tribalism, yes, tribalism, has been like a new virus infecting all aspects of our society. Many political commentators are commenting on it. Many sociologists are writing on this phenomenon. Now, I'm not talking about a tribalism that exists with such things such as sports teams. You know what I'm talking about. We're not talking about tribalism where perhaps we have a strong affiliation for the Minnesota Vikings or the Packers, the kind of tribalism that we gather with devotion around a team, and then we do everything possible to, well, stick it to the other team to trash talk those Packers. Again, we're not talking about this kind of tribalism over things such as football or the kind of a car a person drives or even the brand of gun that they shoot. Instead, we are talking about a tribalism where people gather around a person, a mindset, an idea, or an agenda, which then always seems to lead to strong opinions against another group, the they or them over there. You see, with tribalism, yes, with tribalism, you always, you always need to have a villain. With tribalism, you always need to have a boogeyman, if you will, someone to demonize. And so once a group is formed tribalistically, the group will then begin to cluster together and then form opinions about another group and then label that group as evil which then in return they will attack that other group in which the other group will feel the attack and then return the attack back to the other group. Lines will be drawn in the sand. Everyone will feel like they have to, what, join a tribe. As a result, when tribalism takes effect, people will be walking on pins and needles, as they say, making sure, well, we better not say this word or we better not say that word. We should act this way and not act that way, and so forth. Now, Tribalism really wouldn't be that big of a problem. It wouldn't be that bad, except for the fact that once a person is in a tribe, they have to be completely loyal. Yes, they have to be completely loyal to their social group above all else. Furthermore, once in a group, the tribe just cannot seem to leave the other tribe alone. They have to compete. They have to fight to get their own way. They have to eliminate the competition. In our reading from the Epistle of Ephesians this morning, the Apostle Paul, he confronts tribalism right there in the church of Ephesus. 
You see, in that time and in that day, there was tension in that church of Ephesus between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Obviously, this tension was great to the point that it created a rival between the groups. And so right there in that early church, right there in that early church in 60 AD, some 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, right there in that church of Ephesus, you had tribalism at work. This early church was divided. Jewish Christians against Gentile Christians in the same church. Two rivals, two tribes. And so perhaps this tribalism is not so new after all. Perhaps this problem of tribalism has always existed, indeed has always existed in every generation, in every ethnicity, and on every continent. My friends, it is true, indeed, that tribalism thoroughly permeates our sinful nature so that we not only see it in politics, which we do, and we not only see it in culture, which we do, but we also see it right here in the church as well. It is everywhere. It was in Ephesus. It is in the church today. But how can a church know if it's succumbed to tribalism per se? I can remember being a part of a church many years ago, once upon a time, where it had an extra $350,000 in the checking account. Now, I'm not talking a savings account for a rainy day, but I'm talking about the general fund of the checking account. There was $350,000 in that checking account. Long story short, several people in leadership developed a plan to take this money and put it to use to make an addition to the church. However, other people in leadership and other people in the church, they did not want an addition to the church. And so, as can be expected, two groups were formed in the church. Each group began having their own private meetings to advance their agenda. They said they were going out to eat after church, but it was more than just eating, it was a meeting. In the pews, you could also see the division. One side wanted the addition, the other side did not want the addition. Even in the fellowship hall, the way that they clustered in the fellowship hall, you could see it as well. And then talking points developed in the church. One group said this. They said, you know, those people over there, they don't love the Lord. They do not want to see the church expanded. And in response, that group looked over here and said, you guys are being wasteful and greedy with the Lord's money and wanting to spend it on material buildings, material stuff. And around and around they went, seeking to get more and more people to join their little tribes well, dividing people into tiny little groups and breaking the Eighth Commandment up, down, left, and right against each other. By the time they were all done fighting, there was no longer one church, but several tribalistic factions at war with each other in the church. And Jesus Christ, well, he was no longer at the center of any conversation in that church. His forgiveness no longer overflowed into the hearts of the people. His love no longer granted humility and compassion to one another. But instead, suspicion and anger and petty fault-finding, they all ruled. The only person that was happy in this church, well, was Satan. He was gleefully happy. Now, it may surprise you to hear this. It may surprise you to hear this. There was actually nothing wrong with those people taking those sides, taking those positions in the church. Now, please hear me very, very carefully. 
We Christians, yes, we Christians should have rigorous debate over many things. We should. Let's bring it home. Here at St. Paul's, we should debate things like the remodeling of the basement. We should debate what we do with church land. We should debate what kind of carpet to put in the sanctuary. We should debate what percentage of our budget to give to district missions. We should debate how to remodel the kitchen. We should debate all of that. It is good to talk about those things, and it is completely fine to disagree. But what isn't fine? Mark this. It isn't fine if you and I become tribalistic in these endeavors. If we allow these items to create a wedge between one another. It isn't fine if we, well, if we take those that we disagree with and we make them into villains. It is not fine if we break bread only with these people and not these people because they oppose us on one of these issues. Now, the reason why it is not fine is that these items, which let's just group them all together and call them carpet issues, carpet issues, if you will, You see, these carpet issues are not what unify us as a church. They are secondary to true unity. In the end, these carpet issues, they are like grass, and they will wither away. They will be burned up at the great eschaton with everything else. And so, baptized saints, the Apostle Paul tells the Christians in Ephesus that they were called into Christ's kingdom, And since they were called into Christ's kingdom, they were called to travel on the same road in the same direction. In other words, the Lord establishes unity in the church. Christians do not create unity because we're not the ones who started this Christian faith to begin with. And so this supreme, this this ultimate, this quintessential unity of the Christian church is not found in our agreement over carpet issues but it's found in the one master. It's found in the one faith. It's found in the one baptism, the one God and Father who is, well, above all and rules all. But again, we have to make note of this. We have to be perfectly clear. This does not mean that everyone should look, speak, and act the same. God forbid if we all wear the same shoes, wear the same attire, and talk all the same. God forbid that. That is not what we're saying. There will indeed be differences of opinion in the church. There should be, because we have different vocations. We have different spiritual gifts. We have different backgrounds. However, as previously stated, since we do not find our unity over carpet issues, instead, out of the generosity of Christ, we actually get to be humble and gentle with one another when we have disagreements over remodeling projects, when we have disagreements over budget items, when we have disagreements over district giving and kitchen projects and land resources and on and on and on, whatever comes our way for the next several decades as a church. We actually get to be alert and we get to notice the differences and then to be quick to mend broken fences. Perhaps we could say it this way. We can make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace by making sure that we do not let carpet issues lead us to tribalism, a tribalism that usurps our oneness in Christ. Dear friends, remember, in the Christian church, and in this church, St. Paul's Lutheran Church, there's only one tribe. There's only one tribe. There are sinners 
who have been purchased by the blood of Christ. That is it. That is you. That is me. We are sinners who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, redeemed unto Christ, forgiven in Christ. And so know this today, here at St. Paul's, we could be completely and totally divided on a great number of things and yet at the same time be completely and totally unified. Think of it this way. What could we say here? Baptized saints, what is better? A church completely divided over carpet issues but united in Christ or a church united in carpet issues and divided over Christ? One more time. Listen very carefully. What is better? A church completely divided over carpet issues but united in Christ or a church united in carpet issues and divided over Christ? Now, it does not hurt. It does not hurt to be united on carpet issues. That doesn't hurt at all. However, it is not necessary. It is not necessary for true unity, for true unity as a Christian. Indeed, the true unity of us as a church, as Christians, is in the Lord's word and sacrament that is for each and every one of you. You and I, we are called. We're called into the Christian church. We're called to this Christian faith through baptisms. We're snatched from darkness unto life. We're called into this church through baptism. We're placed in the holy ark of the Christian church to hear God's word, and we are called together to be at this table to receive the Lord's good gifts for us. The Lord has done all of this for you and for me, which means that true unity, that true unity can never be destroyed. It can never be destroyed. Indeed, our unity, brothers and sisters, is in Jesus. It is in Christ and the rest? Ah, the rest is just details. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thy strong word bespeaks us righteous, bright with thine own holiness. Thank you for listening to today's podcast sermon. You can access a full manuscript of today's sermon from Pastor Matthew Richard's blog at www.pastormattrichard.org or visit St. Paul's website at www.stpaulsminot.org. The Lord bless and keep you.